In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up a great sea, and four great beasts came out of the sea, different from one another. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretations of the things. These four beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Father, we rejoice to get to hear your word tonight. We rejoice in the seasons of the year. We trust you, Lord, in the good seasons and in the bad and the light and in the dark. But most of all, this All Saints Day, we remember those who have gone before us. Lord, and we look forward to baptism, to bringing yet another into the fold of your glorious kingdom, where your love reigns forever, forever, and ever. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Good evening. Welcome tonight. Can you smell a different smell? You see a little bit of a... Yeah, it's funny. You see the cloud? When you smell that smell, that should tell you, oh, this is a special day. This is a, this is a day that's a little different. Today is All Saints Day, and we're going to be celebrating a baptism, little Felix Fairs Howard. But today, we remember those who have gone before us in the faith. Now, I want you to put a face in your mind if you can. Surely, you're here because someone has had a hand in bringing you closer to God, closer to Christ. Maybe it's a Sunday school teacher or um, that nagging aunt or uncle or just a great dad. You never know. Dads are okay sometimes. Or a mother, a grandmother. It could be anybody. Just have that face in your mind. And it may be that that person has gone on to be with the Lord, that that person has died. On All Saints Day, we remember particularly those saints who have gone on to be with the Lord. And we remember them and give thanks for them because they showed us the way. They modeled for us what it looks like to follow Jesus. They're saints not because they were able to do a miracle and their body didn't decay, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They're saints because they were in, and they are, in Christ. They are one through whom God's light shines. They are holy ones. And so, they, are, they have been an example to us. And we're surrounded by that cloud. Get the effect, cloud. We're surrounded by that cloud of witnesses, of those people that you've pictured in your mind. And that cloud of witnesses cheers us on. Now, as you think about your saint or saints, it can be multiple saints, there are a few things I want to draw out from the scriptures tonight that they modeled for us. The first of which is that they knew, these saints that we're thinking about, knew that the Most High God reigns, period. They knew that there is and there will be oppression, excuse me, opposition to God's kingdom. Moreover, 
they knew and know that the inheritance of those in God's kingdom is unimaginable. It's almost unable to be put into words. It's, that's the word we would use for that is ineffable. And lastly, these saints know that the Most High God, the Almighty God, the Ancient of Days, as Daniel chapter 7 describes him, will fully and finally prevail and triumph at the end of days when there is a new heaven and a new earth and all the evil, all the wickedness that we experience because we live in a broke, broken and dying world and we're under attack by Satan and his minions, all of that will be fully and finally over. So first of all, we know that our saint that we have in our mind, I've got mine pictured right here in my head, I know when I think about this man, he knew that the Most High God reigns. Look at Daniel 7. It's in your bulletin, or maybe you have your Bible or a phone with you. Actually, this particular verse isn't in your bulletin. This is not in our reading, but it's fill in some context. So Daniel's writing. He's been in captivity for about 50 years. Remember, he's writing as an exile. We've talked about exile a lot the last few weeks. We're in exile. We're not quite home yet. We're not with the Lord yet. So Daniel is writing as an exile, and he sees this vision that, that frankly makes him quite anxious and troubled, he says. And verses 9 and 10 give us a little bit of a context to this vision. There were four beasts. Each of them had a sort of an animal-like character to them. They were all terrible, but the last one was particularly terrible and scary and awful. And Daniel was perplexed by all this stuff, and he asked one of the one of the angels or saints around the throne of the ancient days what was happening and they explain these are four kings four kingdoms but daniel understood something very quickly in his vision verses 9 and 10 of daniel 7 as i looked daniel writes thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat his clothing now who's the ancient of days it's god almighty it's the most high god it's the god of the universe it is God our Lord. The Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. Now, pause for a second. All of the beasts were, were arisen. They rose out of the chaos of the ocean. Daniel writes that he saw the four winds stirring up the waves of the ocean. And from the chaos and the fury of the ocean, came these beasts, and they had power over the nations of the world, but not as much power as this ancient of days. Not only that, verse 10, now we're back to the ancient of days, a thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. In other words, the beasts had power. They had power for a time, and a time and a half time, but more importantly, the Ancient of Days reigned supremely. He sat in judgment. They came from the chaos of the ocean, of the sea, but he sat on fire and had thousands and thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands serving him. So try to picture this in your mind. It's relatively terrifying. Those beasts were scary, but honestly, the Ancient of Days also sounds very frightening to me. I do not think that I would do well if I were to be in the presence of the Ancient of Days without some sort of help, 
some sort of mediator. But these saints that have gone before us, friends, this cloud of witnesses, they knew this truth. Some of them knew it in their bones. Some of them had been road tested and tried and had seen, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of lack, the triumph and the rule and the reign of this ancient of days. Even in the midst of the presence of these beast-like things that come against God. So not only did our saints know that the Most High reigns, secondly, they knew because He does reign, and because His kingdom reigns, there will be opposition to Him and to His kingdom. Take a look at Luke 6 in your bulletin or in your Bible. We're going to be flipping around tonight, so I appreciate your quick turning or searching. There will be opposition to His rule and His kingdom. Our saints knew this. In introducing this, this passage of Luke, this is often called the Sermon on the Plain, one of my favorite commentators in the book of Luke, uh, David Lyle Jeffrey, writes this. He says, generally, Luke's recording of this sermon shows the force of Jesus' teaching on how we are to respond to bad treatment by other people and how we are to regard certain types of deprivation in relation to happiness or human flourishing. In other words, Jesus looks at his disciples and he tells them, because you're my disciples, you're going to be poor. Now he's not saying forever and ever followers of Jesus are always going to be poor. If that were the case, the whole country of the United States of America would have to discount ourselves as disciples of Christ because we're the richest nation on earth and probably in history. But Jesus says, because you follow me, you will be poor. Because you follow me, you'll be hungry for now, but you will be satisfied. You are poor now, but yours is the kingdom of God. You weep now, but you will laugh. Blessed, blessed, blessed. So that's context for what we're looking here at Luke 7. Now here's the opposition. Look at verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Now stop right there. The Most High reigns. We are His saints. We are in Christ. We're part of His kingdom. And if we're following Jesus, we know that there will be opposition to us, individually and as, as a people, as a church. But listen to what Jesus says. Try to put yourself in the disciples' shoes. You've got Rome oppressing. You've been a, a, basically a slave government to all sorts of empires. And Jesus says, love your enemies. But aren't we supposed to get rid of the Romans, Lord? Do good to those who hate you. This, is, this last one is really hard. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. There will be opposition in the kingdom of God. There will be opposition simply because we live in this broken, fallen world that is stained with the effects of sin in the fall. Verse 29. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. From one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. 
And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Now Jesus, again, is using Semitic hyperbole. He's, he's giving a very elaborate example to prove a point that people who are his followers will behave differently than those who are not. Matthew's recording of a similar sermon says, you've heard it, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say, you go further. You give of yourself. For those of you who have been victimized, maybe you've been robbed or assaulted or anything like that, you think, how could Jesus say something like this? How could he say this? In his kingdom, there will be opposition. But Jesus urges this response to love and to give. And we can get a hint of it back in verse 23 at the beginning of the sermon. He says, Rejoice in the day when you're persecuted and hated and excluded and people spurn your name and you're reviled on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Now think about your saints. Maybe they have told you of ways that they had experienced rejection and exclusion or being hurt on account of the name of Jesus. Maybe they could look at you with a bright sadness to say, yes, this was bad. This opposition was real. But I know that the most high reigns. And somehow... Through that bright sadness, they were able to communicate, and yet God is good. I would venture to say one reason that they could do that is because they had prayed and heard the prayer of St. Paul in Ephesians 1. Turn to Ephesians 1. St. Paul's beautiful prayer, this one long, towering sentence at the beginning of this book, this is my favorite book, I think. This and Isaiah, and maybe Psalms. Also Daniel, I like Daniel now too. There's a lot. There's so many good ones, 66. You should read them. They knew the inheritance of those in his kingdom was unimaginable. So I'm thinking about my saint. He was really good at communicating. And he could, he could talk, speak about things very descriptively. He could speak about what he had experienced in prayer or in reading scripture or in worship or experiences that he had. And it was a little bit like the prayer that St. Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus was being answered in my friend. Let's see, verses 19 and 20, I believe. I'm trying to stay on point here, guys. 18, uh, Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. So Paul's praying. He's giving thanks to God. He loves these guys. Verse 18 having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Hope, riches, and power. Now I'm giving a pinky nail sketch of a, of a, a verse that could take weeks to look at. The hope that God has given us. Remember, we're exiles. We still have our identity as God's people, and that cultivates us in us hope 
the hope to which we've been called. Paul said, I pray that God would give you a spirit of revelation and wisdom. Why? Because this is a spiritual thing. It's something that you don't just know by, oh, I read that manual and that's good. You can read it and know it, but it's something that you, that's deeper. Just like in our brains. You can say, oh, well, when I do a brain scan, I see that's where fear lights up and that's where hate lights up and that's where anger lights up. But there's something more to that than to being human and to consciousness, isn't there? And so Paul says, I pray that you might have a spirit of revelation and wisdom to know the hope to which he has called you. Because that's something that we as saints get to step into. That's something that your saint walked in, that hope even in physical frailty, even in frustration, even in not knowing what was going to happen that day or the next day or the next day. The hope, the glorious riches of the inheritance of the saints. We tend to think of riches as monetary. And oh, if I just had more riches, I could do this and I could do that. And I could buy a brand new comb that would always be in my pocket because I keep losing them. Or I... So riches... But the riches of God's kingdom are far vaster. And they're not just tangible riches. They're the kind of riches, Jesus said, that moth cannot eat. And trust me, moths eat. Still, I'm, I'm keeping my blue blazer that they ate to, so I can be reminded that that gummit moths eat. And rust destroys. Guys, things, things fall apart. It will be destroyed. But the glorious inheritance of the riches and the saints will not be destroyed. So our saints knew that. And lastly, what's this last thing? The immeasurable power, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at, at his right hand in the heavenly places. I'll pause there for now. Guys, the power that God has worked on our behalf, that is working in us to undo the curse of the fall, to transform us more and more into Christ's image so that we can behold and become more like Him, so that we can be fully human. The power working in us is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That is unbelievable. It's ineffable. And our saints knew that. They didn't know it completely. They couldn't you know, write it down in a mathematical formula, but they could testify to it. They could speak about it. And you could see it in their eyes, and they could feel it in their bones. But lastly, what drove our saints, I would say, is that they knew that fully and finally, God Almighty, the Most High God, would prevail. Go back to Daniel for me if you would. Daniel 7, 18. This is in your bulletin. So this one attending the Ancient of Days is explaining this to Daniel. And this is what the last part of the explanation. But the saints of the Most High Oh, that word again? But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, 
and ever. They're going to be these beasts. They're really terrible. The last one's the worst. He's got ten horns. And there's one horn in particular that's really wild and crazy and awful and terrible. But the Ancient of the Days is far greater. And he will prevail. He will prevail. Because the saints, those attending with the Ancient of Days, those who are part of his kingdom will possess the kingdom. Hmm. They'll receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom. We may not have much to lay claim to on this earth, but there is coming a day when those who are in Christ, the saints of God and light, will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom. Our saints knew this. And that's why as their bodies broke down, they didn't give up hope. That's why as they see the world cratering around them, they don't put their hope or trust in horses or chariots, as the psalmist says, but they put their trust in the name of the Lord our God, who will give his kingdom to the saints. Now, how about this one? Go back to Ephesians. My goodness. Isn't the Bible awesome? Verse 21 to 23 in, uh, in Ephesians 1. Now, we, we paused here, but we're coming back. So remember, God raised Jesus. Now, all, pause real quick. Be in Ephesians 1. Don't move from there. We're talking about saints. As Felix is baptized today, he's being admitted into the company of saints. He's being initiated into this covenant community. As he grows, he will be invited to continue to affirm this faith, to live into this faith. But I, I explained to him earlier that you know, we, we mark him with the sign of the cross with prism. That's like this invisible tattoo. And he's pretty stoked about this invisible tattoo. But the invisible tattoo is in the sign of a cross, which means the cross of Christ has claim on his life forever. Now, he's going to grow into that. He's going to continue to affirm. But we're bringing him into the people that believe this stuff all the way, not halfway, all the way. That means that you believe it all the way when you say, yeah, we're going we're gonna to help Felix be raised in that. Now look what we get all the way. Verse 21 of Ephesians 1. Paul's talking about Christ being raised from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, verse 21, far above all rule and authority, and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come we had this parallel so daniel had we didn't read this part but there's one like a son of man who comes to the ancient of days and to the one like the son of man is given power and dominion and authority okay so here we have saint paul talking about this this is jesus seated high above every name, every power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. The Most High will prevail. We receive the kingdom we will possess the kingdom 
And guess what? The fullness of him who fills all in all, we will be part of that because he is the head of the church to which we are the body. When Paul says you're in Christ, he's not just saying, oh, that's a really cool way to think about it, like you're in Christ. No, you are ontologically in Christ. And that's what our saints knew. And you know what? That's what they know right now as they stand before the throne of God in His presence, attending Him just like these did in Daniel 7. Think about those saints. Hmm. Now, here's another question. I want you to think about you. And this is sobering. And I don't think this is always something that we can determine, so don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. But now think about you. In whose life might you be a saint? To whom are you shining the light of God? How are you resting in the reign of the Most High? In the midst of all the chaos around us, like that roaring sea from which the beasts came, how are you resting in the reign of the Most High? You, a saint, how are you responding to the world's opposition to God's kingdom? By turning the other side of your jaw to be hit again? Or by fighting back? By loving those who persecute you? Or by giving them the exact same thing they gave you? And you, a saint, are you now laying hold of the kingdom inheritance? Are you drinking deeply from the well, as we sang earlier, so that you may understand what is the height and depth and length and breadth of God's love for us in Christ Jesus our Lord? In prayer, in worship, in reading God's holy word, in receiving His holy sacraments. And you, O saint of God, are you allowing your life to be marked by the future and final victory? that God has planned. Is your life shaped like that? Much like the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus? Or is it mirroring a different kingdom's values? Let us pray. God in heaven, we beg you to help us be like our saints. We know they weren't perfect. We don't pretend that they were. But we love them. And we rest in your holiness as it was lived out in their lives. We pray that you would pour out on us, Lord, your delight and your pleasure so that we can walk as they walk. And that as they cheer us on, this great cloud of witnesses, may we remember not only their example, but may we be filled with your Holy Spirit who empowered them, who raised Christ from the dead, and who you, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, by your glory and wisdom and power, will one day bring about a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We ache for your kingdom to be full on in our lives. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.